Welcome to this podcast recorded in, on August 2019 for ESMO Open Cancer Horizons. My name is Teresa Amaral and I'm interviewing today Professor Martin Picard, who will give us an introduction on the ESMO Magnitude of Clinical Benefit Scale Group. Thank you, Professor Picard, for joining us today. I would like to dive right in, in this podcast and ask you how and what was the idea behind starting this working group? Sure, uh, this is a quite interesting story, I believe. Um, when I became president of ESMO, I thought that, uh, in fact, I had only two years to try to make a difference in one potential domain of medical oncology. And that's where I decided that uh, my priority would be to start addressing the inequality in access to new anti-cancer drugs across Europe. And this idea came after a trip I did to Eastern European countries where our colleagues approached me uh, and explained to me how frustrating it was to um, not be able to access some really important drugs. And I knew already that this was the case because one of my research fellows from Brazil had decided to study the time period that it took to get reimbursement of trastuzumab, a very important drug against her to positive breast cancer, across the different countries in Europe. And he discovered that there was a huge difference. So in the Western European countries, Uh, the access was given within a maximum of two years. In many Eastern European countries, the access could take as long as six, seven years. So I became interested in an idea that perhaps ESMO could help in grading the benefit associated to new anti-cancer drugs So that uh, in countries where there might be difficulties in reimbursement of these agents, there would be at least a sensitization as to which are the really, really important drugs. You know that there has been an exponential development of new anti-cancer agents in the last few years, particularly in the field of immunotherapy. And these new treatments are extremely costly. In an ideal world, of course, we would like to see all the drugs approved by the EMA reaching our patients. But we have to realize that this is clearly difficult and that this might become impossible even for the richest countries in the near future. And that's how the story started. Uh, we designed a small uh, working group and um, We were really lucky because in investigating whether some uh, colleagues had already been thinking about the issue, I discovered that a colleague in Israel, Dr. Cherny, had already had some great thoughts about how we could grade the benefit associated to anti-cancer drugs. And this is how we started the work. Uh, we didn't know that it would be uh, such a challenging task, but we are really happy that we took this decision uh, back in, uh, I think it was in 2013. 
knowing that this has been going for some time, what are the main goals of the working group from your point of view? What we wanted to develop was uh, an objective tool that can be used uh, easily, that can be uh, reproduced, and that can help grading the new anti-cancer drugs as soon as they become EMA approved. So that's an important point. The clock starts once there is an EMA approval. And to get an EMA approval, of course, you have to run robust clinical trials with enough statistical power. These trials are scrutinized by the EMA. So in principle, the drug that is approved should, by definition, be a good drug. But the anti-cancer drugs are not uh, created to be equal, and we know that there are differences. And what was uh, the first goal of the, the working group was to agree as to what are the most important features of a really important anti-cancer drug. And we all agreed very, very quickly that the emphasis should be placed on overall survival, prolongation, and quality of life. We also uh, decided early on, and I think that in retrospect this was a very good idea, that we should differentiate the curative setting from the palliative setting. In the palliative setting also, we uh, took an important decision, which was that we should have different scales for cancers that have still a very dismal prognosis. Let's take the example of pancreatic cancer and cancers where we have achieved better results. Let's take the, the example of breast cancer. So just to be clear, if a drug would improve the survival of pancreatic cancer patients by three months, this would be already a quite remarkable achievement. While a three-month improvement in survival in breast cancer might be considered less significant, in fact. And, of course, the goal in the first place has been to focus exclusively on solid tumors. So we did not um, tend, at the beginning at least, to involve hematological malignancies. And since this has already been gone for quite some time, what are the group's biggest achievements in your opinion? Well, I think that uh, what was um, really important was that we managed to develop a single tool across all solid cancers. Um, we could have gone a completely different way and, and start thinking that perhaps we need one tool for each disease, but that would have become very complicated and very cumbersome. So we managed to create a single tool and um, I, I believe that the fact that this tool is now considered relatively important and successful has to do with the fact that we involved from the very beginning different types of expertise. So we, from the very beginning, we worked with statisticians we also got the opinion of uh, some uh, people experienced in health economics. 
At a certain point in time, we started to have meetings with cancer patients, and these were extremely important and informative to fine-tune some aspects uh, of the scales. And lately, we have also decided to engage uh, conversations with quality-of-life experts, because quality-of-life in the ESMO magnitude of clinical benefit scale plays a very important role. And if a drug is said to improve quality of life, you can get an upgrade on the scale. Mm -hmm. But we have become aware, unfortunately, that not all quality of life studies are run properly. And so by engaging with experts in quality of life, we hope to further improve uh, the scale that we have developed. Now, I forgot to say that uh, we have a scale that goes from uh, five down to one in the palliative setting, five being the highest score. And our hope is that the drugs that will get scores of four and five will one day become accessible to all EU citizens. And to try to help getting there, ESMO has decided to highlight the uh, ESMO magnitude of clinical benefit scale scores in the guidelines. This is a lot of work, of course, because uh, we need to update the scores regularly. Sometimes studies are published in the first place with uh, only results regarding, for example, progression-free survival, and then comes a second publication two years later, focusing on overall survival, and of course, then the study needs to be re-examined and the score might or might not change and it's very important that we get this constant review. What is also important is that the scale is not uh, the product of what uh, six or seven people think but that at the end of the day it gets endorsed by the whole ESMO community and that's another aspect um, of the work that has been done that I think is uh, highly valuable is that we have managed to get the feedback from the ESMO faculty at the different steps of development of the scale. And regularly, the scores uh, are reviewed by the faculty. And if there is disagreement, we have an open discussion because really we need to have an instrument that is away from potential biases and that is robust and that gets a high credibility so that it will perhaps also be used by um, health technology assessment bodies. And this is in fact happening. We, we heard that two, three countries are using now the scale for some important decisions related to the reimbursement of new anti-cancer drugs. Yeah, that goes on right into my next question, uh, that is, how can uh, the work from this group be used in a daily basis or in our clinical practice? And if you can elaborate on the practical tools available and the examples of success using these tools. Well, for daily clinical practice, I, um, I think that the, the scale can really help physicians and patients to understand whether a new treatment that might be very expensive or associated with some significant side effects is a highly valuable treatment 
or not such a valuable treatment. Mm -hmm. So um, what I encourage my younger colleagues to do now is that when the results of important phase three trials are published, when we start discussing the paper, we use the ESMO magnitude of clinical benefit scale to rank the benefit associated with the drug. And that provides a more objective way of assessing the importance of new clinical findings. I also think that this can help the physician talk to the patient because, of course, the scale uh, has been also based on the opinion of patients and we can help also patients take decisions as to whether they should accept a new treatment um, and then importantly, sometimes whether they should accept to even pay money out of their pocket for a treatment. Mm -hmm. The tool has another interesting use, which is in the design of clinical trials, because very often uh, companies, particularly the small companies, ask our advice on the statistical section of their randomized phase three study, their very important trial. And what we tell them is that they should ideally try to have a difference with their new treatment that will lead to a high score on the ESMO magnitude of clinical benefit scale. In other words, their drug, if it ends up with a score of one or two, uh, will not have a big impact. On the contrary, if their drug ends up with a very high score of four or five, it will be more successful and it will likely be more accessible uh, in uh, the different countries. What are the planned next steps and how can the new generation of medical oncologists be involved in the project? So the planned next steps, uh, as I already alluded to, we uh, still need to do, some, to do some further work with uh, patients uh, and with the quality of life experts, particularly uh, from the URTC. Interestingly, um, our hematology colleagues have uh, now expressed interest in the scale and have uh, try to use it and to see whether or not it was applicable to hematological malignancies. And the first impression is that uh, it is. The scale appears to be quite suitable also for hematological malignancies, although there might be some uh, uh, small changes brought to the scale for these uh, particular uh, cancers. The young medical oncologists, I think, are starting to understand that um, this tool is an interesting one. And um, the decision has been taken indeed to involve uh, more young people from uh, the ESMO membership in um, the discussions around the skill, but also in the work that is consisting in uh, scaling uh, ranking the new drugs that come on the market regularly. So the important point of the ESMO magnitude of clinical benefit scale it, is that it is a lively instrument and that it needs constantly updates. Thank you very much, Professor Picard, for your very valuable insights. And I'm looking forward to learning the feedback from our colleagues. 
थैंक यू